Welcome to Project Update, a weekly podcast about the projects we're working on and the projects we are no longer working on. I'm Joe Simpson. And I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Uh, not bad. How you doing, Joe? Oh, pretty good. Kind of excited about uh, Oculus Quest arriving this week. Uh, other than that, just uh, lots of nerdy tech stuff to get into later. But uh, what have you been working on? Um, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, had a kind of sort of new FM perception user at office hours this week. Okay. Um, it's somebody who's had FM perception for a while, but not really used it particularly heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was exacerbated by the fact that they've got the largest single file ddr i've ever seen okay um 770 megabytes wow that's like 120 megabytes bigger than the the previous record holder what is in that is it like a whole (laughs) bunch of images on layouts or something images in layouts don't make it into the ddr (laughs) what is in this ddr (laughs) So it looks as though about 90 to 95% of the content is layout XML. Okay. So lots of um, layouts, lots of very detailed layouts. Lots of very detailed layouts and in all likelihood, lots of old layouts. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I, if I have a layout that's existed prior to kind of the layout engine rebuild in like 12, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of extra XML there and a lot of extra CSS related to all the things that got set on all the properties that got changed. Um, so to, to give you an example, if I take a layout and select all the labels on the layout and make them all bold, mm-hmm. not change the style sheet, but actually just apply bold, every single one of those layout objects becomes bigger. Yeah. Um, I can reduce this size expansion by actually applying a style sheet, which is just a single reference and, um, nothing, the, the layout size doesn't balloon. We've just added a style sheet or modified a style sheet that's global to the entire file. But if I've changed five or six properties on every single layout object. A, that has a bit of a performance penalty, but B, it balloons the size of the layout. Mm -hmm. And my guess is they got a lot of that. (laughs) Um, And that's okay. Depending upon your usage characteristics for FileMaker, it may or may not be an issue depending upon the kind of network you've got and how fast your server is and things like that. Um, very often the size of the layout is not your big determiner of layout performance unless you're in something like WebDirect. Mm-hmm. WebDirect, all of those things that you change have to get turned into HTML and then rendered. And so, yes, that'll have an impact. Um, and then the, there were things like um, this person would use if they needed to search something in script steps across multiple scripts they would use script steps flat 
even if what they really wanted to find was all the places where the new window script step was being used. It's like, hey, let me introduce you to our friend, standard script steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you can just go there, new window, go, which is about the fastest way to accomplish that, particularly on a hugely massive DDR. So it was really nice to kind of see the light come on. It's one of my favorite experiences working with people who are new to FM perception is kind of that, that moment where they're like, Oh, I see how this works now. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you've never attended one of Dave's like training sessions or how to's or watching one of the videos or seeing a demo to user group, it's not clear all the stuff this thing can do for you. And I think someday you'll make a a version 2.0 of this, you know, when they, Mm -hmm. the, the new DDR, uh, or new XML format is finalized and multi-file stuff, all that kind of stuff on the someday maybe list. You may want to consider some kind of little like tip of the day feature at that point. <laughs> and you can even give it a little character called like Beardy and space it off of Clippy. But just a beard with some <laughs> eyes that gives you neat tips about the how to use the app. Do, do you think... Uh, Microsoft would have a problem if I actually made it a paperclip with a great big beard? Mm, maybe, but I think you could probably get away <laughs> with it. I mean, as long as you're you're not, you know, beating Clippy up too much. <laughs> big, big fake kind of hanging off the ears beard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. Um... There was also a thing where there's a, I'm seeing more and more users have difficulty actually exporting their DDR. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly since 19 came out, there seems to have been some kind of shift in the way FileMaker deals with some of the XML exporting logic that's causing instability in the DDR export process. Huh. Um, one that we've known about at least for a little while, I mean, and by a little while I'm talking about weeks perhaps, is if you've got a layout that has a subsummary section, okay, but that layout has been shifted into table view, mm-hmm. FileMaker will crash when exporting the DDR. Oh, or, or, or at least the DDR export process will crash. It will get so far and then just stop. Does it export anything or does it just, you don't even end up with the file? I I think you'll have a piece of a file. Yeah. Which is probably, but it's even not going to be well formed XML. Yeah. Um, and what makes that really fun on one side, my brain goes, okay, well, maybe I can make a tool to help people find that. There's a couple of problems with this. First is that um, the current DDR layout parts are not in it. So I can't tell you what layouts have subsummary sections. Mm-hmm. As well, the current view that the layout is in is also not in the DDR. But all of this becomes this stupid chicken and egg logic problem because if you've got this problem, you can't export a DDR, so it wouldn't matter for purposes of being able to make a tool to tell you where the problem is. But can they export the new XML and can you analyze that? 
So it looks like yes. Um, the new XML has that information, as as far as I can tell. Like I need to there, do some. There, there's something kind of beautiful about using the new XML to troubleshoot problems with the DDR. <laughs> yes. Um, I was even considering, and this was just an idea from today, putting together um, what in my head I think of as like a Todd Geist style tool. A web page mm-hmm. that just has its own built-in thing. It doesn't have to be massively multi-threaded. I don't need to build a huge app out of this. I just need a web page that you can drop an XML file on and it can process it in local JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might be able to turn around something like that fairly quickly. So yeah, that's a fun one. And then... Uh, apparently there were some prior reports about this, but I heard about this from Josh Ormond. Um, and it's that if you've got a multi-file system and one of the files that is open is not open with full access and you try and export the DDR, it will crash. Hmm. Interesting. So all the files referenced anywhere have to be in full access or it won't export. Um, Josh has had some difficulty getting out a complete DDR recently. And at least in his testing, when he actually went through and carefully made sure every single file had full access, a DDR he hasn't been able to export in weeks successfully exported. And he didn't actually change anything in the system. So on one side, that's really cool that we're A, figuring out what the problem is. Mm-hmm. B, figuring out how to diagnose the problem. And there's probably a C in there somewhere, but I have no idea. And so that's cool. On the flip side, I'm looking at it and going, the ability to export a DDR is kind of critical to one of my products. Yeah. The, the core of my platform for right now. And... If that has a bug, that's one thing. But multiple bugs in the process introduced in a single version starts making me really kind of twitchy. Yeah. It, I'm wondering if, is this FileMaker introducing new things in the DDR and making mistakes, which happens all the time, or is this FileMaker continuing to work on the underlying schema of FileMaker and not updating the XML for the DDR when they're doing so, because it's a dead product to them. I don't think we'll know which of those. I don't think they'll tell us if we ask, but I'm guessing it's probably the second one. Like it's clear they're putting their effort into the new XML and the current DDR is kind of legacy format, but who knows? Yeah, I, I don't know how much work on the new XML could impact the DDR because the XML style is entirely different. Like, where is the change occurring that causes this thing to break? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, what I mean is like more like they made a change to um, file access under the hood or to those mm-hmm. table views. They made a change gotcha. there that didn't propagate to the DDR because they don't, They can maybe they consider it a legacy thing, but they maybe would have put that information in the new XML. So I'm just thinking of like, somebody has a checklist of things to do when they add a new feature of like add it to the DDR and maybe they scratched out DDR and wrote new XML and now they're not adding it to the DDR when they make those changes. 
or maybe they just forgot or you know just a weird bug was any of this stuff from the new filemaker 19 update that was no. last week or was this stuff from the previous version of filemaker 19 so at least some of it had existed in 19 okay um Whenever there's a new version and you notice something being busted, people have a tendency to think, oh, it must be the new version. Mm -hmm. And so you start version testing. And some of these things they're finding may actually have been issues back into 18. Okay. And this is where things get goofy is like, okay, I've got my system. Now let me open it in this other version. And, um, you know, trying to nail down exactly where it becomes a problem gets a little goofy. But... Yeah, so they're noticing it in like 19 and 19.1.2. Is that when it happened? Mm-hmm. Not 100% sure. So yeah. But if we can have a tool that can identify at least one of these problems, and that subsummary section in table view seems to be kind of pernicious. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing multiple users popping up with that one. Um, if we can get a solution to that faster than FileMaker can fix the bug, I think it'll be a worthwhile expenditure of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's going to take two months to turn around a diagnostic tool, it's probably not worth the effort. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, as far as FM comparison is concerned, um, I got to be perfectly honest. I haven't made a ton of progress. Yeah. And I'm no longer convinced that this has anything to do with layout objects. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my resistance to getting into, into this is <sighs> if it was just layout objects, I'd still be doing other things. Mm-hmm. Working on other elements of the system, touching other things. We've gotten into the settings and whatever like that, which is its own complicated pile. But the weird part is that basically this level of resistance is universal to almost every aspect of my life. Yeah. That's telling me, I don't think this has anything to do with the code. I'm not 100% sure if this is pandemic anxiety, quarantine isolation, or just garden variety depression. Yeah. And I don't know that it has to be just one of them. Yeah. Um, but I'm... Uh, mentally and emotionally under the weather right now i have the flu but emotionally not not a real one not not viral yeah i mean the you've been carrying around your 2020 discount card and getting holes punched all year and (laughs) now you've got your ninth hole punch and you get a free depression (laughs) stay tuned for the election yeah um before anybody gets exceptionally concerned i'm i'm not i'm worried about my productivity Mm -hmm. but i'm not particularly worried about my sanity yeah 
I don't think, at least as things are currently, and I'm keeping my eye on it, I don't think this is a particularly dangerous form of depression. Okay. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I've gotten over the, the years and years that we've been doing podcasts and such, I've gotten an email once or twice from people going, I think you sound kind of depressed, Dave. Um, yeah. And, and there are perfectly valid reasons for people to be concerned about such things. That said, in the here and now, I, I keep pulling this thing out and looking at it and rotating it in different directions and whatever like that. And at least for now, all of this is manifesting as a complete and total lack of motivation for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, I, I don't know if this is a any kind of long-term answer or a good idea, but maybe just mm-hmm. take a break quit trying to be productive for a couple of weeks and maybe just take the rest of the month off or take a week off and just make up your mind that you're not going to be productive. Like maybe work on that new side project to debug the XML stuff. If you feel like you've got the itch to solve a problem, but maybe just make the decision. Like I'm not going to ship FM comparison 1.0 this month. So, you know, FM perception is in a good state like just take some time off and do something else. And knowing you, you may actually decide not to work and then treat that as a thing that you want to procrastinate on and end up working. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying you should do that, but you should maybe yeah. consider just you know, changing the standards right now. Like when was the last time you really took a vacation? Um, my last vacation was a family vacation to Aruba, and that was two years ago. Okay. Like, I know for the last six months or so that we've been working on FM Comparison, you haven't really taken any breaks there. I think you've worked on it every week, often on the weekends. So maybe it's just like, hey... I know everyone's excited about FM comparison, but we'll see you in November. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've got a, I got a couple things that I really want to do. One is that I need to get an absolute minimum level of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, walking any substantive difference would make me out of breath. Yeah. Like I used to go to the gym with a fair degree of regularity, two to three times a week. And I haven't been to the gym since any of the pandemic stuff hit. Mm-hmm. And just getting my heart rate up a little bit, yeah, stretching my legs, that kind of thing. I definitely need to eat a little better. Um, I've got a fridge full of real food, real food, Joe, Yeah, that I don't eat. <laughs> Um, almost all of my food in at least the last couple of months has come from delivery or carry out. Mm. And, you know, that's got a real nice convenience feature, but it's not necessarily the healthiest path. Yeah. Yeah. American Um, restaurant food is designed for maximum flavor. 
not for life sustaining <laughs> nutrients. Um, I'm 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 trying to figure out whether I need to get further offline. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm only in Twitter like once a week at this point. Yeah, Twitter's pretty depressing right now. Yeah. It was on um I think it was an episode of Roderick on the line last week with Roder John Roderick and Merlin Mann and I forget which one of them said it, but they described Twitter as like this endless supply of marijuana where you can just have all the marijuana you want, but every four years it turns into PCP. <laughs> It's like <laughs> that's pretty much right. <laughs> it's horrible, but, but yeah, Twitter's pretty bad right now. Um, yeah, and I've well, but, but I've already xed off Facebook yeah. basically entirely. Um, you know, I haven't spent more than five minutes in Facebook in two months. Yeah, and even those were specific Google searches for um, pages for a particular restaurant or whatever to see what specials they were running. That's been the extent of it. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, I start wondering, like, if I get too much further offline, is that more of a withdrawal? Yeah. Like, I, I I'm going to be actually xing out more social interaction if i get further offline yeah so i got some suggestions mm -hmm. um for both of these topics maybe not the food but for the exercise and the social stuff your oculus quest should be here this week mm -hmm. and for exercise vr especially standalone vr without being tethered or anything is really good for exercise it, I'm not going to say it's going to replace your home gym or your gym membership or anything like that. But in terms of getting moving and getting your heart rate up, playing things like Beat Saber or one of the many dancing and rhythm games, or there's an app called, I think it's called Super Medium or Supernatural. It's actually an exercise app that is kind of inspired by Beat Saber, but way more intentional for like targeting certain muscle groups. And there's like live trainers, well, recorded trainers, but like human avatars mm -hmm. in there. Um, but I would just start with Beat Saber and try to play one or two songs every day. And if you're anything like me, like I've got a pretty bad track record with exercise. And part of that is I spent most of my life doing work that I was always physically active. So I uh -huh. always turn my nose up at exercise as something that stupid fat office workers need to do. But I never needed to do that because I was in good shape <laughs> from doing all this manual exercise. And guess what? Now I'm a stupid fat office worker. <laughs> and, um, okay. You know, taking walks is not quite enough for me. Like I've tried various like exercise routines around the house you know, I'm, I'm never going to join a gym. I'm never going to go to a gym. I hate every, mm -hmm. everything about that idea. I'm just not going to do that. So I want to do stuff that I can do at home by myself. And I've tried, you know, I've got a rowing machine. I tried an exercise bike for a while. I've got some weights. But really the thing that helped me build up a routine was the VR stuff because it's, it's fun. It's something I want to do. And mm -hmm. yes, I'm getting a really good workout, 
but it's also something that I want to do every day. Like I don't, I don't ever have to drag myself into Beat Saber or Pistol Whip <laughs> or anything like that. Like it's always fun. And right. then after that, I do the rest of my exercise. So I'm not saying you need to put together a whole routine right away, but you know, I built up the habit of exercising every day with Beat Saber and then over a couple of months started adding additional stuff with weights and the rowing machine and body weight exercises and stretches and stuff like that. And that part is like pretty fundamental to why I'm still sane over the last six months of basically only seeing three people. Right. Um, but having VR for fitness, but also having VR for just go somewhere else now. Like I can't look at these walls anymore. I have to go away. And having that has been really important. And from the social aspect of like going further offline, maybe going further offline those public forums, but going further online with friends and family. So people that are hanging out in social spaces, you know, like discords or slacks or other people who are getting VR headsets. I've got one, you've got one. We know a couple other people are getting some of them. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we could put together like a, Mozilla hubs room to hang out with people in um, just that kind of thing. And just, you know, check out some of the live events that are coming up, like actually attending a concert or a series of tech talks or, or something like that. Like those kind of social spaces like alt space and uh, rec room where they're like, you know, more like public, not entirely like public places, but you know, scheduled events venues that type of things places that you can go and hang out with people that you don't know and still get that kind of experience of just being around someone besides the same couple of people that you associate with all the time yeah i i think part of my difficulty there was that when we first started working with the vive i spent a little time checking out some of those spaces and the tech was just so terrible yeah and the communities were basically non-existent mm -hmm. and so it was just kind of a, a a an idea formed in my head that there is not there's no there there yeah and there really wasn't and, for a long time yeah um i think it'll also help having a headset that's a little more of an appliance mm -hmm. rather than a technology so that i can just pick the thing up throw it on my head and go yeah rather than the the elaborate production that using the Vive has turned into. Yeah. But in part of it, just getting out and going for a walk will physically get me out of my house. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the, like, none of this is to contradict anything that you said. I like all of your ideas, but I do need to physically get out of this freaking house. <laughs> yeah and this is this is peak walking season at least for me like i love this time of year where it's not too cold not too warm it's really nice in the morning so yeah yeah i'm also thinking i've, I've over the last couple of weeks i've been <clears throat> slowly edging into this well actually literally over like the last year i've been slowly edging into this space which is just a long slow pull i think it's time to get a dog again mm, yeah um Dogs are if good. nothing else, the dog will help enforce a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's an ambulatory, terribly annoying alarm clock that will not 
accept hitting the snooze button 12 times. Yeah. Just just will not tolerate it. <laughs> um so yeah, and so I've started kind of putting out feelers and doing bits of research and whatever like that. Unfortunately, step 1 for that is going to be cleaning my house fairly substantively because my house is not puppy proof or new dog proof yeah but that's that's all part of a it's all of a thing so yeah but i am looking forward to the vr headset uh my shipping notification currently says wednesday nice so mine i think is arriving tomorrow tuesday but we'll see Hopefully. Yeah. Well, having you 24 hours ahead of me will not be in any way a bad thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I've already started to like kind of clear my schedule for the week. Like, yeah, there's not a ton that's going to be done this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you seem to, but my understanding is you've had your own substantive realizations recently. Yeah. Um I'm I've been thinking about this for the last couple of months and I really started to think about this topic when around WWDC where we'd been working on FM comparison for about 2 months at that point. I was really liking the view stuff, really liking just working with web stuff in general. I did a bunch of web projects over the summer, did a little bit of filemaker work, and then kind of dragging myself back into Xcode to work mm-hmm. on my app. And I've got you know this huge list of things I want to work on. And I just barely made myself like do the minimal up- updates for iOS 14 to get the app to launch essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, continue the same functionality that it had under iOS 13. And I just was not excited about any of this stuff. <laughs> and um, from both from like a tech standpoint, but also just, I don't know. I was I was excited about making the app and I used the app, but I, I honestly think I just made an app for myself and all of the other components about being a consumer software developer, like actually self-promoting and promoting the app and marketing it and talking about it. I'm just not going to do any of that. Like I've made big grandiose plans and strategies of how to do that. But I just, at the end of the day, I won't do the work. Like it's, yeah. oh, I'm done writing code for the day. I've got three hours. I can work on this stuff. No, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go play with web stuff or hang out in VR or listen to podcasts or an audio book or watch something on TV or play something on the PlayStation, like literally anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, three months of doing that kind of became clear. Like I'm just not super pumped about this type of work. I'm never going to do the legwork to actually become financially successful at it. And with all the problems I have with my hands and arms, I can't afford to do work that's not going to make me money. So I decided to completely give up on the idea of making consumer software, which is kind of the opposite of what I've been doing the last five years. Like I've been you know, constantly having in the back of my mind that I'm somehow going to make an app or a game or a VR game or title 
that is going to make me money and that's going to be the thing I do. I'm going to give up consulting. I'm not going to have to have consulting work anymore. And now I'm completely changing my mind on that and just saying, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm giving up on consumer software and just going to focus on consulting work from now on. And I haven't really figured out what that means yet. I'm not sure how much of that is going to be FileMaker work versus web work versus, and I want to kind of gear that work towards web and WebXR stuff in the long term. Uh, in the short term, I'll pretty much take on whatever projects I need to to pay the bills. But but yeah, I I took my app off the store last week, I think on Monday or Tuesday, and wrote a little Twitter thread slash blog post about why I was doing some of that stuff. And then tomorrow, my Apple developer account expires and I'm not renewing it. And uh, I don't know, this is something that I, I think I talked to you about it a couple of times this summer that I was thinking about this stuff. And when I actually posted that tweet thread last week and took the app down, there was this huge like flood of relief. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't have any obligations to this idea of myself anymore and just giving up on that and just focusing on frankly the stuff that I'm good at. Like I'm way better at solving problems and building stuff than I will ever be at building an abstract thing for an unknown audience. Um, and I think if, that's one of the things that makes me a good consultant is because I can really get to know people and how they work and help them build something for them. But you can't do that with consumer software. You just, you end up building something for a mean of an audience and it just becomes very generic. And I just, I'm not super pumped about that. If, if that decision had then filled you with tons of anxiety, mm-hmm. That would have been one thing, but that, that massive feeling of relief, I think is a strong indicator that you probably made the right choice. Yeah, definitely. Like when you, when it just, when it feels like a huge weight taken off of your shoulders, it was probably a weight that you could afford to set down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's been a week now and I still don't regret it. (laughs) And I'm just kind of excited about like, I haven't. You know, like being able to clear my desk off. Like I don't need all of these lightning cables to attach stuff to the Mac while I'm building apps. Like I uninstalled Xcode and my Mac is now physically lighter. Like I think it shaved (laughs) off four ounces of Xcode. (laughs) I haven't heard the fans spin up in at least two weeks now. Wow. Um, But a lot of it was just like dealing with Apple stuff. I think... Working with SwiftUI last year and Apple's appalling documentation and just how many interactions I had with their developer support and every one of those was a negative experience. And then contrasting that with working with Unity stuff and Microsoft stuff and then the Vue stuff and all the PHP work I've done. Like all these other communities are full of people that are helping each other and particularly like Microsoft and Mozilla, like companies creating the technology and then supporting the technology and then comparing that experience to Apple, who's basically like, they're just kind of awful. It was just awful to work with them. And I'm not not going to miss that part of it. So, yeah, I don't know that I'm never going to make an app again. Um, like, we'll see what happens when AR headsets start hitting the market. But I think my my plan is to, with that kind of work, is to really stay on the web tech 
like as WebXR continues to evolve um, from just VR stuff to augmented reality features, I want to be really good at WebXR development in you know lots of different capacities to make stuff for people. You know, I think we've talked about it offline before, but there was a, a lot of people like Jonathan Stark in particular positioned himself really well at the beginning of the mobile phone era or like the, you know, the current iteration, you know, iPhone and onwards. He positioned mm-hmm. himself really well to be a web consultant and a mobile consultant and really help companies make that transition from, you know, web 2.0 to the mobile web. And that's kind of what I want to spend my time doing now as there's not there are not very many companies that need a web xr app right now but in a couple of years i think that will change rapidly you know as we see vr start to get more popular um it may always be kind of a niche thing but it's certainly gaining popularity now and then as ar in various capacities becomes more and more popular and i'm not talking about the ar where you hold your phone up and you know, right. pop an Ikea couch in the room. That is a novelty and I'll do some of that work if it pays the bills, but that's not really what gets me excited. It's building, you know, realistic interfaces and things that we can't do now with computers, things that we can only do with a spatial interface. So that's the stuff that I'm excited about. And the cool part is doing all that in JavaScript means you can consult on all the other JavaScript stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess to get into my projects update, uh, retrospective timelines is dead. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow when my developer account expires. I guess we'll see. Like I still have the app on my phone and the data is in CloudKit. And I've got apps in my App Store library from developers who have taken their apps down and shut their accounts so the apps are still there, but I'm not really sure what happens to the CloudKit syncing. Like mm. I know that's in the user's container because it's in the user's data, but I have no idea how any of this stuff works. But uh, I'm going to export my data and make myself a little WebXR slash JavaScript interface for the data um, as one of my first projects in this stuff, but I'll probably end up making a FileMaker interface for like its permanent home. So yeah, I, uh, I've i been working with 3.js slash A-Frame and dabbling in Babylon.js. And the last couple of weeks I have settled on working with Babylon.js as opposed to 3.js and A-Frame. And two things that pushed me over the edge is Babylon has way, way, way better text rendering support than 3.js does. You can do so much more with it and it just looks better. Where 3.js has, it just, text just never looks very good in VR. The other thing was that weird audio issue that we discussed a couple of times uh, where in the Oculus browser in particular, any of the audio sources that I had in A-Frame or 3.js would sound fine in the browser window when you're not in VR mode, but you step into that scene and they sound like crackly and distorted and weird. And I spent too much time trying to solve that bug and find workarounds for it. And I have no idea how to fix it. You know, I I reached out to Oculus. I had some stuff on Stack Overflow. I had some issues with A-Frame. 
and just couldn't figure it out. And I loaded the scene with the, the exact same assets, essentially just the Babylon JS version of that scene and didn't have the same issues. I'm like, yep, I will use this. So yeah, that'd be mostly Babylon JS from here forward, but I'll probably still play with 3JS stuff from time to time. Um, another thing that we talked about last episode was me kind of being stuck on how to use or how to access rest apis from javascript like syntactically not necessarily architecturally but like what is the api i need to actually make a get request or a post request in javascript and there are a bunch of third-party solutions there's some older apis built into the browser and the one i settled on is a relatively new as in the last couple of years api called the fetch api which has it's it's a promise-based solution which don't ask me to explain that but sounds great <laughs> um for making requests and handling errors and responses and you can use that in the browser on the client side but also if you're working in a node environment uh you can use it on the server to make requests so i did eventually figure that out and got a bunch of stuff working that way about halfway through last week or the week before a friend of the show eden had listened to our episode and my whining about not really knowing how to work with that stuff and he offered to do a, a walkthrough of how he's doing stuff with tech, a technology called express which is express js and it's really cool stuff. It's definitely weird. Um, I've got you know a decent amount of experience writing PHP web apps, and this is you know most of my Node experiences from the last six months, and really in the context of the Vue stuff that I've done with Dave and some of the side projects I've done. But this is a Node app versus an app built with Node, and this <laughs> the, the distinction being. Like FM comparison is an app that we built with Node. We're, we're basically uh -huh. using Node as a compiler to take all of this stuff as an input and create an output. But the output is still just HTML files and CSS and JavaScript files. Like there's uh -huh. no program running there. We host that, yeah. well host, we, we shove that into a folder in FM comparison and Dave loads it in a web browser. But that is, it's not a live app. We're not running it yeah. Node like when you open FM comparison on your Mac or Windows machine, you're not starting a node session and running yep. the app. Express is the other type. It is actually a node app where you're actually running node on the server and Express is actually creating a web server on that server using the node stack. And it listens to, like you define routes as specific uh, URL endpoints and define the logic of what those do. And it's really, it took me a while to wrap my head around it, but it's a really unopinionated thing. Um, it does very little on its own, but it's built in this really modular way where you can just add middleware in between the request and the response to do whatever you need to do with that request data as you're turning it into a response. And you can do some really awesome stuff with it. So Eden sent me a template project of kind of how to get started with that. Um, he, he was initially accept, suggesting this as a way to interface with FileMaker. And then throughout the conversation with him, I decided like, 
you know, he told me about MongoDB and how he was using MongoDB to store certain parts about interfacing with FileMaker. And I decided wait, if I can just have this connection to a MongoDB database in Mongo Atlas, I don't necessarily even need FileMaker on the other end of the stuff for a lot of the demos and side projects I want to work on. Mm -hmm. So he sent me a, a sample project. I kind of took that apart and made different versions of it. I worked through some tutorials on Express because I really wanted to understand how it works and what makes it go. And I played with MongoDB. I think I've got three different clusters with different databases there doing different things. And also playing with getting the Express server built and then you know getting it working locally is relatively easy. Finding a home for it on the web is a bit more work and Heroku is what Eden has suggested. A lot of people are recommending. Um, I threw some sample projects up there and it's definitely cool, but you go from the free tier, which gets you virtually nothing but an interesting sandbox place into the, there's like a, a small $7 a month plan for, you know, hosting side project type of things. But then above that, it jumps up to, a much higher price at that point. And I'll probably use that for some of the side projecty things, but not necessarily any of my internal projects. So a lot of the things I want to build over the next couple of months um, fall into two categories of, this is a demo that I want to add to my portfolio. And the other category being, these are things that I want to use myself in building WebXR interfaces to be able to use when I'm in VR. Um, I'll probably also build regular, you know, pancake interfaces with that data as well. So I'm not sure I will use the node stuff or the express stuff for the category of stuff for me. Um, because I, you know, I want to build a single web app that is interfacing with dozens of different endpoints and I can do that in express, but I don't necessarily want that hosted in Heroku with data and Mongo. Like I want all that data. In, in my control on my server already. And I've already got decent web hosting for that. And I want it in subdomains. Like I don't want to really start routing specific subdomains to different servers. Like I know I can do that, but that's such a mess when you start doing that, like splitting DNS by subdomain. Um, so yeah, I'm probably just going to make some PHP stuff for myself and really just try to I don't know, it's, it's going to be a long time before I try to sell services as like a full stack developer. I think more likely I'm going to focus on the front end stuff and whatever back end stuff I build for myself will be, you know, a horrible secret of, you know, undocumented, <laughs> very little error checking, like just enough to get it to work. Um, so yeah, Express is really cool. I definitely built some neat stuff with it and I walked through a tutorial series this weekend from Mozilla, they've got a you know seven or eight part tutorial series on working with Node and Express from the ground up. Really, really detailed, and some really neat stuff there. And I walked through the end of that. I'm like, yep, this is really neat. Anyway, I'm going to go back over to PHP now because uh, <laughs> I know how to do stuff. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you used a term that I'm not particularly familiar with, a pancake app? 
Yeah, pancake is what I call anything that's not VR. Because okay. I, I hold the regular 2D world in utter contempt. <laughs> you how how does one have contempt for pancakes? Good point. I might need to do some rebranding. Pancakes are awesome. They are. I mean, I mean they're not waffles. Yeah. But pancakes are great. Yeah, waffles are 3D pancakes. So yeah, I am um I don't know, throughout the next couple of days, I'm going to build myself a little PHP backend with a MySQL database for some of the simple stuff and then start interfacing with some of the external data sources like Todoist and maybe Goodreads and SharePoint and stuff like that, places to pull in various amounts of data. I'm not sure how much of the office data I'll pull in. Like, it would be really cool to build a way to pull in notes from OneNote, but that we know from previous episodes of the podcast that me building note stuff is in it, it's a bottomless pit mm-hmm. so probably not the best use of my time but i'm going to build stuff a lot of this is just focusing on getting data into webxr so i want to build the minimal backend stuff i need to be able to load data and whether that's you know coming from an express server you know just you know hitting that up with get requests and post requests or building that into the PHP backend. Um, I'm probably going to spend some time with that PHP framework that I can't pronounce. Can you go ahead and pronounce that? I think it's Laravel. Sure. I'm just, I I don't think I can ever be a consultant with that technology because I can't pronounce it. (laughs) I'll make some demo apps with that as well to see what it's like working with that. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm having kind of a hipster phase right now with web stuff. Like I just want to work with the regular, regular stuff. Like get me out of the frameworks for a while and just let me work with PHP and JavaScript without all of the frameworks and NPM modules and composer and stuff like that. Um, Give me the hand tools version. Yeah. Cause I really just want to tinker and get stuff working without having to to deal with maintenance of big frameworks and config files and stuff like that. But I'll probably play with that, make some simple apps with that, do some more stuff with Vue and Nuxt, and then also take a hard look at React because there seems to be no end to the amount of projects that people need done with React. I know quite mm-hmm. a few people working with it. Eden is working with it. I think the folks at Geist are working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be a good place to get some experience, but also offer services as a, a front of house developer. Um, if I can find somebody who wants to do and likes to do all the backend and database stuff to work with, and I can do the front end stuff, that would be ideal. But yeah, that's what I'm working on. A lot of stuff and nothing in particular. Awesome. So there is another Apple event tomorrow. Yeah. You going to buy a new phone? I I don't need a new phone. Yeah. I've got a 10R right now and it does everything I need it to do and the battery is still holding up fine. Mm-hmm. And not having to spend the money on the phone itself is great. Yeah. I 
it would have to do something amazing like make pancakes for me <laughs> to <laughs> to turn into something that I can't live without. Yeah. I mean, I love my iPhone. I I'm really kind of happy with the thing. Um, we'll see what happens when I get to iOS 14, mm. um, which I haven't installed yet. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I've got a phone from the same year. It's the 10s Max, mm-hmm. and it's also in pretty good shape. Battery is fine. It, performance-wise, it's fine. The only thing that's making me hesitate is there's rumors about a much smaller phone and when i got this phone i was going to use this phone for lots of stuff and over the last couple of months i don't know that we've talked about this too much um but in the spring i got a touchscreen computer so i could try to work without using a mouse so much and spent several months working on that touchscreen laptop and i think i misdiagnosed myself because the pain didn't really go away when I took the mouse out of the equation. And my at this point, it may have been using a mouse for years that messed up my right hand, but now it's just messed up no matter what I do. <laughs> and I can particularly feel a lot of pain when I'm scrolling on a touchscreen. And I spent years using an iPad um, as like, this is the main thing that I interact with all the time. And I'm wondering how much that contributed to these issues. So my iPads have been powered off in, in a closet for the last month or so. And I, I actually got the iPad Pro out for the last Apple event to watch it on the iPad because I don't really want to just sit in one place the whole time because those events are long and sometimes boring. So I will probably get that iPad out again tomorrow and watch the event but i'll probably sell that ipad sometime in the next couple of weeks so in terms of phone i have recently i did get an i a new apple watch for the last event i went from series three to a series six and one of the reasons i wanted to do that was to really reduce how much i'm using the phone to a bare minimum like a lot of what i do for with the phone is actually like normie stuff like i actually have phone calls on a regular basis. I, I, I know that's probably going to blow your mind if you're under 40, but like that's a feature that I use. It's a green icon with this weird little hook-shaped thing with two round things on the end. Um, but you can talk to other people with that. And it, it, huh. Yeah, it's really neat. It's it's like voice chat? Yes, yeah, like voice chat, but without using the internet. Nobody knows huh. how it works. It's just send your voice over the ether. <laughs> um phones how does that work yeah sorry so i actually use the phone quite a bit i use messaging quite a bit but really i use it for music and podcasts so i decided to get the new apple watch my apple watch was kind of getting slow and clunky so i went from the series three to the series six and really just been doing as much on the apple watch as i can and reducing how much i use the phone to basically like a place that i a thing i pick up and put information into like capturing a task or you know googling something real quick but for the most part just it's getting to the point where my phone is sitting in one place almost like an appliance that i go and get when i need to and then put back so do i need a new phone no um 
But now that I'm using it way less, I actually thought about getting a much smaller phone. Instead mm. of this, this is like the biggest thing they had in this generation when I was going to be using it for a lot more things. Now mm. I think if they have a new small phone come out, I may go for that. And I checked the trade-in value. I can get like $480 for this. Um, and I can get an iPhone SE for $400. So depending on what small phone they have tomorrow, if it's like you know a five or six hundred dollar phone, I may go for the fancy new thing, or I may just end up ordering the iPhone SE that they released a couple months ago, and uh, or may not order anything at all. Like that is a thing as well. But yeah, I do still use it a lot for reading um, articles. Like I use Pocket a lot for that type of stuff, and. That's probably the only thing that I want. I, I, I hope to be able to just do all of that in VR now with the higher mm -hmm. res screen on the, on the Quest 2, be able to do a lot more reading in VR. So the the watch, unfortunately, isn't to the point where it's a standalone device. You do still have to have an iPhone tethered with it to use it. If that wasn't the case, then I would probably just get a dumb phone or like an inexpensive Android phone. But maybe an iPhone SE coming my way. Or yeah, for me, my phone is primarily an ebook reader, a secondary web browser. Like if I just need to check something, that's my phone. Mm -hmm. If I need to do research, I'm on my desktop. Yeah. Um, podcasts, a minuscule quantity of gaming um, there's a couple of board games that i play with friends mm -hmm. um and that's about it and as long as the battery continues working i don't think i need to replace my phone yeah yeah there's also rumors about a new apple tv which we talked about last month about how i wanted a new apple tv mm -hmm. and now i don't want a new apple tv um, really it's not that I don't want it. It's that my LG smart TV got a software update and now it has mm -hmm. the Apple TV app on it. Gotcha. So I don't actually need the Apple TV hardware to be able to watch the some of the Apple TV stuff I wanted to watch. Um, I had a major change to my Apple TV usage recently. Yeah? Yeah, I uh, started uh, watching some of the Apple TV Plus shows mm -hmm. and couldn't find my apple tv remote hmm. and something went wrong with the apple tv and the the interface on the phone wasn't connecting okay it was like the apple tv had lost its wi-fi connection and i had to go tell it how to be on wi-fi again but i couldn't do that from the phone because that uses wi-fi mm -hmm. but i did end up digging up the remote to the first gen apple tv Huh. And it works freaking great on the modern Apple TV. Really? Yeah, it does use infrared, so you have to actually point it at the television. But it actually has like clicky buttons, and just setting your finger on the thing doesn't make it do something. That's awesome. It it actually is. It's it's dramatically more pleasurable to use. Like I can hit go right four times and it goes right four times precision and stuff like that and it's just a stupid old remote <laughs> and it's 
wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I'm really not happy about the Apple TV remote, which is why <laughs> my Apple TV is sitting in my friend's home theater right now. Because I, I hate this thing. Get it out of here. Yeah. I had to dig around online because I was like, is anybody aware that this is a thing? Like, did I just discover that this works? And it turns out that there are blog posts and things like that about it. But I had no idea. If I known this was a thing i would have been using it for years yeah yeah the old stupid like four button apple tv remote works perfectly fine hmm. yeah i wish i guess you know with the oculus quest coming this week it's replacing you know the current quest but it's also more or less replacing the oculus go which is like the more media consumption device and they're not making any more oculus goes they're only making Oculus Quest 2 from now on. And I really wish they would either add compatibility for the original Go remote or just include a little media accessory because the touch controllers are really great for playing a game, but try to lay down on the couch and watch some Netflix in VR. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just really annoying. Like <laughs> if they move a, a millimeter then they show up in the space and the play space highlights like... They're just kind of a liability at that point. Yeah, I wish they would make a little media mode, remote. I mean, it is an Android device. Maybe I can make some little, make or find some little remote and write a little app to interface with it. I don't know how it would actually interact, interact with the apps itself, though. That would be the tricky part. Yeah, I shouldn't spend any time on that. No. 